0: For Montana's only daily sports talk show, Nuwana now.
1: Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
0: I like football! Everybody, welcome in Nuandas now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Coulter Nuandas coming to you through the ESPN MT studio with our good friend Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz. Riley, be rolling with us here for about the first forty-five minutes of the show. If you're watching on TV and you don't see us, it's because we're not there. We have some other obligations, but we are uh, recording this here on Wednesday uh, early afternoon. Uh, But a ton to get to today. Riley and I will talk all the way around the wide world of sports. I got some Grizz questions for him. I got some uh, baseball questions for him. I got some golf questions for him. And, uh, uh, of course, we'll get to a whole bunch of other stuff as well. We also have – it's Pride Week, Pride Month, I guess, here uh, everywhere, but uh, especially in Missoula. So we have a a Pride Week interview coming up about 445. Our ESPN Roundtable this week, talking all things FCS football with our good buddy Sam Herter. Sam's doing a great job getting everybody ready for the 2023 football season. And he's got some great insight on a variety of different subjects. And at 5.30, Mike Anderson will swing by. Head coach of the Grizz hockey team. And also our go-to guy for Stanley Cup coverage. The Vegas Golden Knights. 9-3 last night. That's a statement if, if there ever was one. And the Golden Knights, the Stanley Cup champions for the first time ever. So Mike will come in to break down this Stanley Cup, and we'll probably have him in one more time as well. Uh, I won't be here for that interview, but Andrew will steer the ship uh, on the way home. So that's your show outlook here on Nuanas Now. Want to stream the show? You always can. 1029-ESPN.com. Click on Listen Live or on the ESPN MT app. And if you want to be a part of the show, 406-888- 1029. That's triple eight one zero two nine. You're gonna to want to remember that number. First of all, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for us. But also, since it's a Wednesday, it's a Wing It Wednesday. We got a dozen wings from the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill coming up about 445 as well. So remember that number, 406 888 1029 Both of us back from trips to the Midwest. We both were getting our baseball fix. Uh, I've told the folks exhaustively about my time in Milwaukee and Chicago. Where you been at? You you checked off a couple different stadiums off the list.
2: I did, man. It's great to be here talking with you first off and recapping baseball in the middle of June, but I'm on a quest to get all 30 Major League so Baseball stadiums. where you
0: stands. at now? Would you text me, 23 now?
2: 23, 24, and 25. Oh, because oh, you checked off a couple after yeah, the, my, when I was texting uh, me. Cool. Yeah, I had three on this trip, and it's amazing. And Andrew and I were just talking about this off-air, but we in Montana... We have a different distinction for distances, right? Oh, it's sure. three hours to Bozeman. It's five to Billings. We don't realize in the Midwest or, or different parts of the country how quickly you can get to major cities, right? Oh, for I for sure. Mean, we've,
0: we we've, were talking about that while I was in Milwaukee. You can drive to Buffalo, New York faster than you can drive to Miles City. That's is insane. (laughs) Absolutely true. We
2: started the trip in Cincinnati, uh, stopped in Canton, Ohio, on the way to Cleveland, and then uh, went from Cleveland to Detroit. So, Cincy, Cleveland, Detroit, knocked off three stadiums. It was awesome. Just had a great time. How's, uh, How's Detroit? Detroit is not what you'd expect. It's cleaned up so much yeah. in the last 20 years. They've had a, a really good downtown project, project, and they get, you know, maybe a bad reputation, but I was pleasantly surprised. And actually, Coulter, this might surprise you more, but that was the best ballpark, I think, out of the three. It's a hidden gem up there, For Comerica sure. Park, just great history, and you, you just feel like you're at one of the cathedrals of the game. You really do. So, uh Love Detroit. Loved going there. Seven games in seven days. So, yeah, definitely got my baseball fixed. But as my fiance said, get it all out now because it's (laughs) it's wedding season for me. (laughs) It's
0: wedding season for sure. Um, Nuan is now ESPN Radio. Riley Corkin, voice of the Grizz, uh, hanging out with us here uh, on your Wednesday. I want to keep on this baseball conversation because we've been talking a lot about baseball lately. Paddlehead's back uh, in full force. The Pioneer League's back in action. Major League Baseball. Uh, reaching what they call the dog days of summer, but, but here's the thing that I'm having a, a struggle with. Maybe you can help me. The one of the greatest parts about baseball is statistical comparisons and the way that the game was played in terms of uh, being able to compare statistics. There's certainly been different eras and there's been times when you know the dead ball era or the juice ball era or when they you know they adjusted the mound or oh you know there's all these different factors that go into the influence of the numbers, but for about the first 150 years of baseball, you can't have these baseline numbers, a 300 batting average, you know, under two ERA, 300 strikeouts in a season, whatever it might be for a pitcher or whatever. Now, the numbers are so much different, right? I mean, there's, there's, Whoever leads the league in hitting this year is probably going to hit what three thirty?
2: Realistically, outside of Luis Ariza, but yeah, I, I'm with you.
0: But the, the the
2: standard has changed. It's a great conversation because so how do
0: you compare? That's what I'm, I have a, a, a problem with, right? Like. The the hitting your best player in the leadoff hole that's breaking my brain. Watching Christian Yelich hit leadoff, I was like, "This guy's a three hitter." What is happening? It's it's hard for me to adjust. Everything I knew to be true about baseball, it's just different now. I,
2: I think we all have to just take a step back before we try and go into certain points of trying to compare, right? And just saying the game is different. Is. The game is different. You do not see small ball anymore, right? There's a guy on second to start this new extra innings rule and back in the day, and I know we could say this a lot, they would bunt. 100% of the time, they'd bunt him over. That's just not the mindset anymore, and everything through baseball has shifted from analytics to everything, right? I mean, do you think that Ty Cobb was getting a scouting report saying, hey, first pitch is 42% of the time fastball, he's got 13-inch break on his curveball, and hey, on 2-0, he has a tendency to throw his slider outside. Absolutely not. Does that demean what Ty Cobb did back in the day? I'm using the Ty Cobb reference because I was staring at his statue in Detroit looking at his numbers saying can this be attainable ever again and I'm not quite sure especially on the pitching side of things Coulter, you're talking complete games and guys throwing on two three days rest never going to happen again so I'm having a tough time too I don't know what the perfect answer or the perfect number is but The game has changed, and the standard for what we set for excellence and what average is, it's just different, and it's hard to compare it from back to 50 years ago
0: and beyond. A text in from a listener yesterday to sort of help us with this says, here's the way you have to look at analytics. What's the best way to score runs? Get on base, hit for power, get your best hitters the most at bats. The ways that they measure the analytics are very complicated, but the concepts are very straightforward and simple. It doesn't. It makes sense. To me, though, one of the great parts about baseball forever was like the element of gambling within the game the swashbuckling manager who wants to steal all the time. Hit and run. You know, hit and run or, you know, like as a, as a lifelong Cleveland Indians fan, like when Kenny Lofton was getting on first base in the first inning, he's going to steal that base. Like he's either going to try and get thrown out or he's going to go. And he doesn't care about any analytics. He might get thrown out one quarter of the time, but guess what? He's going to steal 75 or 80 bases every single year. I, I just, uh, I get why the analytics have such a high priority on them. I just think it takes away a lot of the game. Like, Part of the brilliance of baseball is Vladimir Guerrero swinging at the low outside pitch that he only hits 11% of the time and then hitting it out of the park. That's what makes baseball great. It makes it seem like we're computerized
2: now with teams. And I respect Tampa Bay so much for what they're doing, but they're the epitome of that. For sure. They, They do everything by the book. And the element of the unknown for baseball is what makes it great. These guys play 162 games. They got to go outside the box a little bit. Are you really going to play within that confine for 162? I still think the great ones have a little bit of crazy in them or a little bit of, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. Sure. Ellie, De La Cruz, sure. Ellie De La Cruz is someone we talked about, right? I got, I saw his debut last week. He is
0: electric. You got, I can't believe you got to see him live. If, for those that don't know, this is the, oh. the new young kid that's playing for the Cincinnati Reds. He is as magnetic as a, of a young player as, as coming to Major League Baseball in a long time
2: and he is going to be a star I mean from from home to third in 10.8 seconds but I saw him in his first couple games he was blowing through stop signs he was swinging at stuff down low you know what the crowd was never more engaged than when he came up because there's the element too of, What's he going to do next? And I feel in baseball, there's so many people you could say that with Vladimir Guerrero, Shohei Otani. For sure. What are they going to do next? Let him loose. Let him go. I know the game is shifting a different direction, but I'm with you. I still like that element of
0: what's going to happen now us now, ESPN Radio. Riley Corkin, voice of the Grizz, joining us here on your Wednesday. I mean, you mentioned Tampa Bay. They have uh, the best record in the league by a lot. I think that they are six or seven games ahead of everybody in the rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, 48 total wins already. A run differential of plus 138. So they are absolutely getting it done. 31-7 and 7 at home. Pretty darn impressive. And how about in that division? Can we
2: just look at that division? For sure. Rays and Orioles in first and second. And you got the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Red Sox in the rear. I mean... It just doesn't even look right, but good for those. I mean, well, also teams. to
0: put this in perspective, the Blue Jays would be winning the American League Central, and the Blue Jays would also be winning the National League Central, and they're in fourth place in the American Jeez. League East. So a lot of it's a stacked division.
2: Well, which also let's look down the road when the expansion comes, two more teams. I think divisions will be no longer. I don't think they're going to have that anymore. Which. You know create another
0: interesting tourist. Uh, for sure the other thing I wanted to ask you about we were talking about this yesterday uh, is I we have we actually talked about this all week long Ken Griffey jr. is certainly one of the great center fielders of all time and and the great center fielder of the modern generation all of the other great center fielders though of the modern generation none of them were in the Hall of Fame I have theories as to all of the different things that goes into this but Andrew Jones Kenny Lofton, uh, Carlos Beltran, uh, Jim Edmonds, none of them are in the Hall of Fame. Is there anything you can point to as to why? Isn't that surprising? That, that actually blows me away. My for the for everyone
2: listening right now, my jaw is dropped. I can't believe that. I mean, when you compare it mean,
0: Jim to, Edmonds is a Hall of Famer,
2: right? Yes, he's, I mean, he's a Hall the, I of. I mean, he's the greatest defensive center fielder he, of the modern I era. I still remember when he went full layout, made yeah. that. I mean, oh, it was the best catch of all time. But that is a little bizarre. I think we hold. Center fielders, shortstops, pitchers, to a higher standard. I just sure. feel maybe that that's the only thing well, I can point to. But with it, no it, analytics, Andrew in
0: pointed that out yesterday. There's 19 center fielders in the Hall of Fame. Seven of them are seven of the greatest players in the history of baseball: Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, you know, Tris Speaker, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Like these guys. No are, doubt, these, these guys are the best players, not just center fielders, best players ever. So I think that's part of it. I think it influences it a little bit. Um, I also think that, I don't know, I, center field, the position has changed so much. Now, you know, forever you just put your, your best guy in center field. Now you don't want your best guy running around all over the place. Mike Trout's like the last of a dying breed, you know what I mean?
2: And you're seeing now, and the Braves are a good example here with Michael Harris. I mean, you, you put a guy that is more defensive-based. Yeah, right. and out there, that's going to bat eighth or ninth. That's you're right, seeing that right. as more of a trend, which doesn't seem right. I, I think when I was growing up in the era of when we were growing up, it was center field, shortstop, yeah. speedy second baseman. Those are your top three guys, basically in the order. And you're right, that has evolved. I, I need to do a deeper dive on center fielders now. That that has my mind really going about how that shifted and how we don't
0: have any in this current era. I know it's hard to get in, harder to get in the baseball Hall of Fame than it is for like the basketball Hall of Fame, for sure. But still, like, Andrew Jones and Jim Edmonds are very memorable player. I mean, they were outstanding. They have great numbers. I mean, it's not Edmonds is not only the one of the great defensive Bernie center fielder. Bernie Williams. Field, Bernie Williams is another one. Edmonds is not only a phenomenal defensive center fielder, though. He also hit almost 400 home runs and hit, like, 285 for his career. I mean, he, he's an outstanding offensive player as well. And a career of
2: longevity. For 17 sure. years in the bigs, for Sure, All those numbers, too, and... He might be number one at the top of the list of, how has this guy not gotten in? But
0: If, if Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, then Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer, right? Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> There's no question. And we could really go down a rabbit I mean, hole Edmonds here. Jim Edmonds was a better player on the same World Series team yes. as
2: Scott Rowland, yes. right? Yes, he, he played a, a more definitive role. He was more important. All of I mean, those I things. I love Rowland. I think Rowland oh, deserves to yeah. be
0: in the Hall of Famer, but I just think that Edmonds does
2: too. This could go down a rabbit hole, but... How bizarre and flawed is the voting system for Major League Baseball Hall of Fame? I mean, guys have a vendetta, right? And it feels like more than anything else, as I go on a little bit of a tangent here, is that... It's more of how sports writers can get back at players or say, hey, you've had the control forever, but you know what? I'm going to deny you the Hall of Fame, and that's how I'm going to say you didn't treat me right. I feel there's a lot of that out there, and I know the Barry Bonds discussion can really go down the rabbit hole, but I feel a lot of the Barry Bonds not getting in the Hall of Fame has to do with that because he was notoriously known for – being a jerk, let's just say.
0: Here is the here are the 19 uh, center fielders that are in the Hall of Fame. Richie Ashburn, Earl Averill, Max Carey, Ty Cobb, Earl Combs, Andre Dawson, Joe DiMaggio, Larry Doby, Hugh Duffy, King Griffey Jr. Billy Hamilton, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Kirby Puckett, Ed Roush, Duke Snyder, Tris Speaker, Lloyd Weynor, and Hack Wilson. For those keeping track at home, you probably haven't heard of half of those guys. It's because all those guys played in the first half of the 20th century, or they were Negro League players. It's, 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 I guess to me, the, the thing I have such an issue with in terms of the Hall of Fame center fielders aside is that if you're one of the best players at your position in your generation, that stands for something. So how is the Hall of Fame saying that there hasn't been any Hall of Fame-worthy center fielders in the last 30 years? I mean, King Griffey Jr. is the only modern player on that entire list. There has to be somebody else that gets in the Hall from from the last 30 years.
2: I'm looking at this list, too, with the guys going back all the way. We're talking 80 years ago is where the majority of this list is at. And do you define—now, this is a good question, too—do you define a player— by their position, or how should I say this? How do you characterize them, right? Do you judge them by how they do with their peers at center field, or are you comparing more numbers to a right fielder, right? Because I feel that these writers are doing that, and it demeans the value of being the field general out there in center field.
0: For sure. I mean, Jim Edmonds has... More home runs than every guy I just listed, including Joe DiMaggio. The only center fielders ever with more home runs than Jim Edmonds are Ken Griffey Jr., Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, and Duke Snyder. That's it. That's it. I- I, I, I just on. I you know, if you hit four hundred home runs and you're the best defensive center fielder in of your generation, you gotta be in the Hall of Fame. I, I he, just I rest my case. Start a hashtag.
2: Advance <laughs> to the Hall of Fame, baby. I, I think Kenny Lofton and Carlos Beltran are two guys too that sure. I mean deserve at least considering. Beltran, I he had an unreal career. He had an People unreal forget career. that. He he kinda faded hard,
0: but, but I think Hall of Fame career for him too. Well and, and Lofton, I mean, you talk about what he was at that time. I know the Indians didn't quite get over the top, but they were they were one of the great teams in the American League in the 90s. They were an offensive juggernaut, and he was the catalyst to it all. I mean, he scored 120 runs five years in a row. You know, I mean, he he was hitting 320 and stealing 100-plus bases. I mean, he was one of the great leadoff hitters in the history of baseball for a moment in time.
2: And how about that, too, hitting 320? How many people right now are hitting over 320? If you had a random guess. Oh, man,
0: in Major League Baseball? Right at this current moment. I'd say four. Six. <laughs> yeah.
2: six, six, that's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. anymore, it was like, oh, okay. If you hit three hundred, you're above average. Now, if you hit three hundred, you're elite for sure. It's it's a wild time and it's crazy. What do you think of the pitch clock? Have you got, have you so have you went that all that into that the, yet? That was
0: the last thing I, I wanted yeah. to, to talk to you about. Is uh, it's it's really weird in person. You and I were talking about this when you're at a game. See, I, I, I've long argued this baseball's issue in terms of its waning popularity, it's not because the games take too long. It's because the games don't matter for the ADD American public. <laughs> they they need every game they're going to watch to mean something. What does this mean for this legacy? Or, you know, I mean, the NBA playoffs last as long as the freaking season. So, like, you don't even have to watch. I don't even watch the NBA until the playoffs. And I feel like I watch basketball every night for the last three months straight. I'm, re- I'm right there with you the So, NBA. you know. Every NFL week, it just means something. That's baseball's biggest issue is how do you make the games mean more? It's not because the games are too long. I think anybody that's watching or going to a game, they don't care how long it is. It's the casual fans that don't know what it means that they're failing on. But being there in person, I, I, I did. I felt cheated. When I go to the park, I don't care if the game lasts five hours. I wanted to. I wanted to, too. I paid a $100 for these tickets, and I'm going to go. You know, I want it to last for a really long time. The game went to extras and it was still over in th- in three hours. I felt gypped. Uh, but still, uh, it, I don't know. I don't know what I think of, of the changes. I, I I think that there's so many things that has has made baseball sort of slip in the American consciousness. But I, I don't think the length of the game is one of them.
2: I don't think either. And I think what they did is they put the purest of the game. And they put that the fans that are always going to be there. They're taking it for granted a little bit, saying, hey, we can change the game that you love, and you're still going to be there, but we need to get more people to follow us. And they're teetering on the point for me, as someone that's loved baseball my whole life, of... Maybe going a little bit too far of changing the game to what we've all loved forever. And I'm with you. When I go to a game, I want it to last forever. And the players, to their credit, seem to have adjusted seamlessly. You're not seeing many violations right now. And I would go rule by rule. I love no more shift. See, that's, uh, that's great. I don't like the new basis because it's too easy to steal now. For sure. Where they need to find a happy medium. Just a little bit there. And I wish they turned the pitch clock off in the final three innings. I know that sounds crazy, Ooh. but you're going to get these especially guys. in the playoffs. Yes. Oh, my, they better in the playoffs. Uh, Can uh, you imagine if there's a strikeout in the bottom of the eighth the base is loaded because a guy had to rearrange his batting gloves or something? Oh, that,
0: my gosh. Is, is something's going to the happen. to be a disaster. The pressure it, for the playoffs, especially these play-in playoff games with the pitch clock, is going to be crazy. It, these pitchers are going to be losing their minds. They will be losing their minds. So
2: I, I hope there's a little bit of modifications with it. I... They're bringing in more people. They're, that's the the general sense, even going out there to places far and away, Milwaukee for you and you know Detroit, Cleveland for me, of the game is more enjoyable to the common fan. And on TV, you know you can watch it in two and a half, three hours. So the TV rating should be way up. For sure. But going to the game, there's an element of I want to get lost. For sure. And not have to worry about... A ticking clock the entire time. Just get lost in the game. That's what we all love about it. So I'm trying to be open to it, Coulter, but at the same time, that happy medium uh with hopefully they modify it still a little bit more.
0: Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks so much for tuning in here on your Wednesday. Riley Corcoran, Coulter Nuana is coming to you. Uh, Riley the voice of the Grizz. Let's uh, let's talk about the Grizz for a brief moment. Uh, we, we've been doing a little exercise the last several weeks, uh, breaking down the most memorable and most impressive moments of each respective season throughout the whole wide world of sports in Montana. Sometimes the most impressive is also the most memorable. Sometimes they have nothing to do with each other because sometimes the most memorable moments are not necessarily impressive. In fact, sometimes they're depressing or sad or, <laughs> or shocking or whatever to you what was, uh, we'll just start broadly with the whole Grizz Athletic Department. What was the most memorable moment of the last calendar year for Grizz Athletics? Wow. Good question. Yeah. Um, I- I would probably go the comeback against Simo in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that, that one will go down. The Malik Flowers kick return yeah. specifically and how it just turned the whole time. And
2: then the Junior Bergen. I, because when then when Junior went down the sideline, I think yeah. everyone in there was saying, okay, this has a chance to actually happen. They, they were dead in the water at that point. We all know what happened the previous week. I
0: mean, at, at halftime, oh. we were like in the press box. Look at each other like, is this really how this yeah. is going to end? I remember you coming into the really, booth. They're really going to go and get smacked by Montana State and then lose to Semo at home. I was like, what is what is going on? It's a catastrophe! But then they they swung the whole thing and the narrative at all right from number, I mean, it, changed, no- it changed the whole scope of the season because even just winning one playoff game, it was a little bit of a positive note for them going forward.
2: And it was, but more at the same time, you could say it was a consolation prize. And I'll be honest with you, for right? Sure. I mean, this is the for time for sure,
0: for sure. But you can't lose a home playoff game, no. That, no, That can't
2: happen. No, the, the narrative going into this offseason would have been a, a heck of a lot different oh, than buddy. it was, right? And you lose to North Dakota State on the road. You get a little grace there, right? It was a one-point game at some point. But at the same time, that was probably the most exciting, the, the highlight really of the, the football season. But unfortunately, and hey, we're not putting lipstick. I mean, we're not going to try and mask the situation here, Coulter, that the year didn't live up, right, to expectations. So, so the the memorable moments, unfortunately, when you do this now, seven years for me, there's years where the wins are the highlights, and those were the pivotal moments. This year, unfortunately, it was a couple plays that didn't go the Grizzlies' way. That it was the losses that were kind of the defining sure. parts, right? I think the onside kick against Idaho. I think the blown call against Sacramento State. And I think those are probably the two defining moments of the football season that, that kind of swung the pendulum, and then obviously what happened in Bozeman, right? Yeah. But, I, man, from from a football side of things, I would go the SEMO second half. What did you guys say? I'm curious. That, that's, okay.
0: that's exactly what we said. I, I think we pointed to a couple different moments. Um, okay. I said the most impressive moment of the Grizz season was, was those two returns for touchdowns oh, that swung yeah. the momentum. And... Uh, I, I thought that the, the, the most, I thought the most memorable part of the season was exactly what we just talked about, how the weight of expectations sort of crushed the, the Grizz team last year. I, I always circle back to this though, I know that there's a lot of people listening to this show that were very dissatisfied with how the season went last year. And, and I think that I mean, how can you not, you know, given all of the hype and all the expectation that uh, Montana entered last season with? but to have to 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 wildly unfulfill expectations you have to have wild expectations and that's a spot where most programs can't be i mean to have the the calamity of things that went wrong for the grizz last year happen and to have the narrative around the season be this utter disappointment you have to have a lot of factors that most fcs schools don't have
2: you are expected to be the elite of the elite. Absolutely. And especially more, right? We've talked about this. The bubble is shrinking. You're going to talk with Sam about for it here sure. in the next hour that the bubble shrinking for elite teams, right? 100%. They're either moving on or they have different expectations. Montana is continuing to be in that smaller circle of what, four or five teams. I think right now everybody put four teams ahead of everyone else. For sure. North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Montana, and Montana State. That's right. Those four live in a different bubble than everyone else does. And the Grizz expectations, you look at it okay. That's right.
0: The best way you can say it is that there's right now there's three teams that can win a national championship and there should be four. And Montana just needs to be in that in that yep. group of four. And they absolutely could and should be and I think that they will be. I actually think that last season's disappointments If Montana and Bobby Houck and his staff compartmentalize it in the correct fashion, could actually be a huge advantage for them. It could be the best thing that ever happened to them.
2: And the shape and the identity of this team, I don't want to get too crazy out there because it's June 14th right now and fall camp's going to be in about seven weeks, but the fact that the identity of this team and the strength of this team is absolutely going to be shifted from an elite defense now to – we have a lot of playmakers on offense, new offensive coordinator to where maybe the focus isn't all the time of the defense has to hold the wall. The offense. I just think the, a refresh, right? Refresh yeah. all the way across the board. It absolutely could help them. But to finish the thought on these expectations and how you sum up this Grizz season, you look at eight and five and you could say, okay. Maybe didn't live up to where we wanted. But the fact that your arch rival is doing what they're doing right now is making everything magnified 100%. and everything worse. But also, bring your level up, right? I mean, sure. it, it's a great problem to have, but all of these factors come into summing up the 2022 Grizz football
0: season. Riley Corkin, Voice of the Grizz, here on Nuanas Now. More with the Voice of the Grizz right after this. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. And that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschulteilaw.com. One, two, three. What is now on
1: ESPN Radio.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Appreciate you for riding along with us. If you don't see us in studio, we are elsewhere, but we're still bringing you uh, this uh, radio show, as we do each and every weekday between 4 and 6 p.m. I'm Coulter Nuanas joined in studio now by Riley Corcoran, the voice of the Grizz, talking uh, some Big Sky Conference and Montana Grizz memories from this past season upcoming we got a, a pride month interview we also have sam Herder as our espn roundtables, the senior fcs analyst for hero sports and bet mgm and mike anderson will be in studio to put a bow on the stanley cup the vegas knights gentlemen's sweep nine to three they won last night to sew up their first stanley cup title ever
2: and a little bit of montana ties there with bill foley Ownership for the Knights, see him over at Rock Creek and Deer Lodge. Yeah. So cool tie. I know that there's a some Vegas golden knight following here in the state of Montana. And you know, that was referenced sure. a little bit too. You actually see Rock Creek Cattle Company ads in Vegas' arena for home games, and it's kinda out of place. Well, that's the reason why, of course. <laughs> so I digress. Sorry for
0: sorry for interrupting. No, I I, uh, I love it. And I had forgotten that that time. It certainly is a good one. Is that Hockey's have we, we talked a bunch about baseball in segment number one. Right now, in sort of the American hierarchy of pro sports, the NFL is the king, the NBA is definitively the number two, baseball is defensively number three, and then hockey's like this distant fourth. What's eluding hockey?
2: I just, how do you compare it? Where does it fit in? Tell me this. Where does it fit in? There's only so much that you can ask sports fans. Because we're diehards, right? For sure. And I'd even say that I I want to get into hockey. And I do a little bit during the playoffs, but where do you want it to fit in in the calendar schedule? I I just think there's only so much you can squeeze in, even over. And I I may be going down a rabbit hole here that Andrew could totally knock me for, but go over to. Go over across the pond, England, right? There's only so many soccer leagues that you can care about before there's I just feel that. We're in the U.S. America, I don't yeah. know. I just don't think it can ever crack the top three, and that's probably not the answer that you're looking for, that hockey fans are, are looking for out there, because it is a great game, and it's fun if, you, if that's your passion, but I just don't know how it ever cracks the top
0: three, especially in the window they play. What do you think? Well, I think that there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think that it's, it's almost impossible to truly comprehend how uh, spectacular the athletes are in hockey watching it on TV, because half of it you don't see. Like, half of the, what's impressive about hockey is when they do the line changes and the guys are pouring over the boards and they're skating so fast. The puck's over here and these guys are coming into the street. You don't even see all right. that stuff, right? I also think it, it doesn't translate well on TV because there's no real discernible difference in the players. They're all, like, basically the same size. They're all six six, foot to six two, 200 to 220 pounds. There's not, like, this Jola and Bede where you're like, well, then look at this guy. Look at Nikola Jokic. Like, these... These sort of freakish athletes, they're all just sort of normal-sized humans.
2: Same line of thinking, they're one branch on on top of it. There's no... There's not that many superstars that the household name knows, right? In the NBA, you know at least that if you're flipping through the channels and the Sixers come on, that you're going to get to watch Joel Embiid. And if the Lakers are on, it's LeBron and the Warriors and Steph Curry. I go all the way down the list. You could almost go through every single team and say, well, I know that at least if they're on, I don't know what their record is, but I'm at least going to watch this guy play. I don't think there's any of that
0: with hockey. Uh, And and part of what hockey fans love about it is how unpredictable it is. But I think that that also hurts – with the casual fans, right? Like the Boston Bruins had the greatest record in the history of the NHL this year and they, they're one and done. They're out. Done. And the team that beat the them, the eight like, yeah, seed, you like, know? What, what, how does that happen? And also I think that, you know, it would be a dream for the NHL if they could get like Connor McDavid and Alex Ovechkin in the Stanley Cup Finals against each other. But the, the superstars, there's such an element of chance that you just never know and then all of a sudden you have like the three seed versus the eight seed in the Stanley Cup and it, I don't know. It's hard to gain momentum.
2: I think what purists of hockey love about the sport is that there's not that many superstars, or that they're nameless and faceless? Sometimes it's about the beauty of the game. Yeah. Well, with this ever-changing sports landscape and the guys that scream at each other every morning, it's, that doesn't right. work, right? The right. gentleman's game and just playing a, the pure form of hockey—that doesn't sell. That doesn't. That doesn't get talked about, rather than the drama of the NBA playoffs or or whatever you want to talk about. So, right, wrong, or indifferent—I think all of those factors kind of go into why hockey. It kind of has a ceiling. At least I feel. I hope I'm wrong someday. I just don't know where it fits in or or how it elevates to a point where it overtakes the big three, so to speak.
0: I also think it would help the the NHL if some of the the old school, like some of the original six teams or some of the Canadian teams, went on better runs. Canada for sure. It's it's a huge disconnect for people when Vegas and Miami, you know, Vegas and Florida are playing. You know what I mean? Like. If it was the Minnesota Wild versus the Calgary Flames, I think that would have a lot higher level of national exposure.
2: Yes, and they, they need those teams, especially with 30 years now, right, without the Cup, read something about that. Come on, let's go
0: you I ESPN Radio, Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, uh, joining us in studio. We've been doing our most impressive, most memorable moments from across the uh, sporting landscape, both high school and college sports. Anything else that stood out to you from this last year that was memorable or impressive for the Grizz or the Big Sky or just anything in the state of Montana? Football or all just, sports? Just anything. I,
2: I mean, I think I'm just the two sports I cover closest, right? I mean, yeah. with, with football and Grizzman's basketball, The what a roller coaster. But But the yeah. fact that we saw the best version of them when they won eight out of nine at the end
0: for the Grizz hoops team, for
2: the Grizz hoops team, all for the expectation. And I think a lot of people that follow the Grizz and maybe those that are driving or listening to this now have said to themselves at least once in the last couple of years of man, are the Grizz ever going to get a break, right? Is something going to fall their way? Well, I think that happened in Boise, and the fact they couldn't take advantage of it was unfortunate, right? Because number one, Eastern got beat, and the Grizz are the hottest team down there, and we were talking about it on your show that, man, this is setting up. Dakira and Boise, watch out, they win eight out of nine, then lose to Northern Arizona. So good and bad when it comes to there. I think from from a larger scope, the Big Sky Conference— is in a really unique spot right now. And I think this is a good time to talk about it as we transition. Media Days will be coming up five weeks, and, and we'll start to see. And you're you're going to hear even more in the next year of the ever-changing college landscape and the domino that needs to fall with the Pac-12 and how that affects the Mountain West and how that trickles down into the big sky, and particularly with Montana and Montana State. But it is very clear to see, especially at the basketball level, to where it's becoming a lower-level league, to where it's more of a feeder conference for sure. because of just the, the ever-changing landscape. How does the Big Sky Conference catch up, compete, or do they kind of fall back into the sunset? Does Montana and Montana State, do they stand for that? Do they say, hey, maybe now is the time? I think that all of those questions are starting to arise even more, um, especially with what you've seen with the basketball side of things. Football is still interesting to me because the Big Sky and the Missouri Valley are, are keeping it keeping the FCS afloat from just exposure, validity, all of that. Everybody knows the Montanas, North Dakota State, and South Dakota State. What happens if one, two, all four of them leave? FCS football, as we know it. The big, what does the Big Sky Conference look like? This is a this is a question that we oh can man. answer. What does the Big Sky Conference look like without Montana and
0: Montana State? That's a question I would love to ask that to you. That and, has been our main, uh, a primary theme all summer long. We've talked about this probably fifteen times already this summer because I just think, you know, there's there's the people that say, can't move up, no, you'll never compete. There's other people that say, got to move up, let's go but there's no place to move up to. So I think Montana, Montana State, they just have to position themselves to be ready when it all falls apart around them. Because I think there's, it's unquestionably it's all going to fall apart, right? Yep. I mean, you're a Wazoo alum. Here's my bold prediction. We already know USC and UCLA are out. They're going, they're going to the Big Ten. Washington and Oregon have to follow. Then I think Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado are all going to go to the Big 12. And then you have four Pac-12 schools left. Stanford and Cal, I wouldn't be surprised if they realign with somebody completely different that has m- better academic fits, and then you have basically what is like the Pioneer Football League, but of the FBS. right? Wow, that would be something. Because I don't, Stanford is, is just not going to join a league with somebody else if they're not peer institutions. It's Stanford; they're not doing that. Maybe they just go independent because they have the resources to do that. Right? That's, that would be more likely, so, I would think. So then going. you have the two land grant schools in the Northwestern states: Oregon State and Washington State they are just left out to dry. What do those schools do? And then how does Montana, Montana State, and the Dakotas position themselves to sort of have... The Mountain West is a, a long ways away from inviting Montana and Montana State into the league. But what happens when the Pac-12 and the Mountain West completely dissolve, or the Pac-12 steals half the Mountain West to fortify their ranks? Then where are we at? That's what I think Montana Montana State have to be ready for.
2: I am with you there on, the, on scenario number two. The, let's say the Pac-12 is able to stand tall a little bit. I just have a hard time thinking that everyone's going to leave. And I know that when one domino falls, it could. But if those teams could stay together, you had San Diego State... And then the other team that's been rumored, Fresno State, UNLV, maybe an SMU. I don't I don't follow that rumor as much. But two Mountain West teams. Let's, let's just play devil's advocate. This is the scenario, Montana and Montana State, and I think the rest of the Big Sky Conference should be petrified by, that if two teams leave, it's a perfect fit. It yeah. really is for Montana and Montana State to move up. The question I have for you is someone that has followed the evolution of Montana and Montana State. Of people that have said, ah, oh, it's not the right time. I don't with this ever-changing landscape and with where NIL is at right now, it is. We were just out around the state on the GSA tour. You're hearing it from coaches. We cannot compete strictly by the dollars. I mean, teams are just giving out fifty thousand dollars to players sure. to go that you would be able to compete with a lower-level Mountain West school, San Jose State, Nevada, whatever you want to talk about. Boise State's maybe a little bit higher ep- echelon there. But if that's how you view yourself, there's going to come a time. You either have to step up, and I think everyone here is sports-crazed enough to not want to say, oh, we'll fall back. Right? Sure. I don't think that's going to be in the narrative. So whether that's in the Dakotas with you or it's Montana and Montana State going to the Mountain West, I think the time, I look at it kind of like an hourglass when the sand's going down. For sure. You can kind of feel the sand go a little bit quicker. I just feel in the last one, two, three years progressively – Things are going to change. You have to position yourself to be ready to go or you're going to be passed
0: by. You have to and you have to prioritize voice of the grizz uh, here on now. You have to prioritize your advantages as well. Like uh, all the people that say that Montana Montana State wouldn't be competitive in football, I-, I completely disagree. You give Montana Montana State 22 more scholarships and an FBS tag, Can't you recruit against, then, in the Mountain West, right? I mean, the only town that's a Mountain West town that's on par with Missoula and Bozeman is probably Fort Collins, maybe Boise, but, like, I'm going to Montana or Montana State way before Nevada, Reno, or Laramie. Utah, Logan, Utah. I mean, come on, man. Even San Jose. I mean, Pullman's a fun party town or whatever, (laughs) but, like, I'm taking Missoula all day, you know? Yes. And then you could recruit against that, and and I think that that would be a huge boon as well.
2: Well, how— how about right now? You there are already twenty scholarships in the hole, but you got Eastern Washington beating UNLV. You had Portland State, a lower level big sky team should have beat San Jose State For last sure. year. There was an argument with the, the, at the top of the conference. Last year the top four were better than the top than the top four of the Mountain West. For sure. So I don't think the gap is Remotely close right now.
0: I I think that I mean Bobby Houck would tell you he's oh, had teams at Montana that were way better than these teams at UNLV. Yes, and they, he, they would straight up beat. I mean, a lot of Bobby Houck's teams at Montana would beat the pants off of some of Bobby Houck's teams at UNLV.
2: There was absolute talk that there would have been five Big Sky teams that if they were in the Mountain West last year, even twenty scholarships down. That it could have become bowl eligible, six yeah, and six. Right. Which again, that that's another conversation. Well, would you be happy going six and six, going to the Potato Bowl, and that's it? A lot of people say no to that, and I understand that aspect of it too. But for the sake of this conversation, yes, the, the Montana and Montana State could absolutely compete at the football side of things. That's not the conversation. It's the other sports that right, I think right. that from a from a scholarship standpoint, from a from a resources standpoint, can you catch up in? women's golf can you catch right, up right. in track and field totally. and make sure that you're not just a, a, a carpet necessarily for the rest of the conference you need to compete there too and and that's why this is so multi-layered but from a football side of things oh my goodness Montana and Montana State could compete in the Mountain West this year no question
0: uh, I, I guess my last point on this is just that I, I'm not trying to say what the ideal scenarios are as much as this is going to happen. College football, here's, here's the number one thing that's driving this, is there's going to be renegotiations of all the TV contracts. That's why I think the Pac-12, those schools are going to try to rally with somebody else, because I think there's going to be three TV deals, because there's three networks. CBS, ABC, and they're all, they're all NBC are all going to get one of the big conferences to exclusive rights for billions and billions of dollars.
2: ESPN and ABC has the SEC now. CBS yeah. has the Big 10, yeah. so that's already shifted for right. the folks out and there. So
0: then, uh, you know, how, who where's the Big 12 go? Can the, I mean the the only way the Pac-12 survives is if the Pac-12 somehow convinces one of those networks that it is a more valid and viable brand than the Big 12.
2: And that is why we've been hung up here for the last couple months. It's all on the Pac-12 TV deal. That's right. The Pac-12 TV deal is essentially the last leg of keeping everyone together. And if they sign a crappy deal, buy Washington, buy Oregon, buy Pac-12 right. as we know it. I just can't see that you just, getting you- to a point where it happens. And maybe it's because I'm biased and I went to Washington State and I don't want to see the crumbling of the Pac-12. I just feel there's a lot, so much smoke and mirrors out there, by the way, but... I, we'll see. I mean, traditionalist, come on, Washington and Oregon. I mean, UCLA, you no, see sure. leaving. I, I would love to see it keep together, have two teams add up, but Hey, money talks and you know, what walks, I mean, you know, the, how that goes the
0: only people that the only way that anybody out West can compete is if they get on par money wise. Like right now the sec schools are getting almost twice the money from TV that the bag 12 schools are. There's a reason why the sec is winning everything when it comes to college football. So, uh, we'll see. Uh, You know, there's not much we can do about it other than talk about it. Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz here uh, on Nuana's Now. Andrew Houghton steering the ship from here on out. He's got an interview about Pride Month coming up to finish out hour number one. Also, our ESPN roundtable featuring Sam Herter, senior FCS analyst for Hero Sports. And we'll talk some Stanley Cup finals as well in hour number two. Before we get out of here, though, how about some wings from the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill? Wing It Wednesday, every Wednesday here on Nuana's Now. We got a dozen wings from the Despo located there on Russell right across the street from the YMCA. Call us right now. Call number 3 888 1029 That's 888-1029. Call right now for your opportunity to win a dozen wings from the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. Don't change the dial. Nuana's Now. Back right after this, ESPN Radio. statewide on SWX
3: Montana Television. Welcome back. Nuwana is now on 102.9 ESPN Radio. Colts are out of the studio today. That's why I'm in here with you, Andrew Houghton. Colts will be back in hour number two. Have an interview with Sam Herter, National FCS Analyst. We've got something else to do here at the end of hour one. Joining me today in the studio Andy Nelson, the Executive Director of the Western Montana LGBTQ Plus Community Center, here to talk a little bit about Pride Week in Missoula this week. Uh, happy Pride Week, first off, Andy.
1: Happy Pride. Thanks for having me.
3: And that starts, uh, continues this week. We're here to talk specifically about Pride Night at the ballpark. Uh, tomorrow night, Thursday, the Missoula Paddleheads hosting Pride Night. Tell us a little bit about that event. Starts at 7 p.m. Yeah, so
1: this is our fifth year of doing this collaboration with the Missoula Paddleheads. We're super excited to be back at the ballpark doing this all over again. We love the Paddleheads. They're so great. But yeah, it starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow. Get your tickets online at gopaddleheads.com and uh, come early because we have all sorts of fun fun stuff going on.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about that? I know, so the thing that I know about specialty jerseys, specialty rainbow pride jerseys, the Paddleheads are wearing... Tomorrow night, as they take on the Glacier Range Riders, and those jerseys will be up for auction uh, during, before, and during the game. But what else do you have planned?
1: Yeah, so those jerseys are currently up online for auction now. You can go to our uh, Facebook, the Center's Facebook page at Western Montana Community Center, and bid on them or through the Paddleheads website as well. I think they'll be able to be bid on for the next 24 hours, a little longer. up until after the game, so all the jerseys worn tomorrow night—they're these super awesome rainbow jerseys. Um, you can bid on them, and the proceeds will support the Western Montana LGBTQ+ Community Center.
3: So, tell us a little bit about the work that you do at the at the center. You've been there um, for about five years, uh, heavily engaged, of course, in in pride efforts here in the community. W- what do you guys do at the community center? Yeah, so
1: I'm the director of the center. I've been there for about five years. And the center is a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit that's been around the Missoula community since 1999. And what we are is we're an open and affirming place for people of all sexual orientations and gender identity expressions. And we serve we serve as kind of a hub for the LGBTQ plus community here in Missoula. Um, a big part of what we do is we offer community-based peer-to-peer support groups um, for people looking to build community, for people... Um, going through a hard time or looking for new friends, people with similar lived experiences. And that's how I came across the center when I came out as gay in college. Um, we also host events all through throughout the year, like Missoula Pride. This is just one of many, but tell you what, it's going to be a big, busy weekend. we got about 50 events planned, and the Pride Night at the Ballpark is a big one tomorrow.
3: Andy Nelson, the executive director of the Western Montana LGBTQ+, Community Center joining us here on Nuanes Now, talking a little bit about Pride Night at the Ballpark, which is tomorrow night. Missoula Paddleheads taking on the Glacier Range Riders uh, first pitch right after 7 p.m. But 50 events, that's a lot this weekend. Don't think we have time to get through all of them, but what else do you guys have going on this weekend that people should be checking out uh, around town?
1: Yeah, there's so much going on. So baseball game tomorrow night. We also have comedy shows at the ZAC tomorrow as well. Um, Revival Comedy is putting that on. Uh, Friday, we have our rally at the courthouse from noon to one o'clock. Uh, the mayor will be speaking as well as other folks that are... Um, political figures, advocates um, in the community. Um, Saturday is the big day, and that's where the parade will take place. Um, the parade will begin at one o'clock, starting on the south side of Bear Tracks Bridge, moving across the bridge into downtown, taking a, a left onto Main, where the street party will be happening. And the street party will get going right after the parade uh, for th- from three o'clock to 10 p.m. We have all sorts of really great musical acts coming in from all over the country, as well as here in Montana. Um, a big part of the onstage performances that we're really excited about is our first ever BIPOC variety show. Uh, this year, we specifically wanted to highlight the black and indigenous people of color in our community. Um, because Juneteenth is on Monday. And so we have lots of folks coming in that are friends of the Montana Two-Spirit Society. And so we have some traditional indigenous dancing and drag artists and all sorts of great stuff. Vocalists in that portion. We've got G-Flip for fans of G-Flip. They're quite the, quite the act. And um, let's see, there'll be after parties after 10 o'clock on Saturday, uh, roller disco on Sunday, Uh, drag brunch on Sunday. So many things. I can't even keep them all straight, but you can learn more by visiting our website at missoula-pride.com.
3: That's the important one. If you're looking for info about any of these events, missoula-pride.com, where you can go for more info, schedules, times, places, etc. Andy, just a couple more questions for you. What makes a a week, an event like this, important for you? The visibility, I assume, is a big part of it, but... What does a week like this mean to you?
1: Yeah, it means a lot of things for people in the LGBTQ plus community, Um, especially now in this political environment we're finding ourselves in. Um, The last five months of the Montana legislative session have been really challenging um, for queer and trans folks. Um, There were a lot of anti-LGBTQ plus bills passed that directly impact our community. And so it's been a rough year. Um, but not just that, um, Pride Month is a way for all of our community to come together and celebrate who we are as people and the struggles we have faced, the challenges we've overcome, um, the successes we've had and the ways we have to go. So it's a way for us to come together to celebrate um, our community and for our allies to share that with us. This is a great time as an ally, whether you're a parent with a, a trans child or a grandmother with a gay grandkid, whatever. Come out, celebrate, maybe learn a little something. We've got some uh, awesome educational opportunities happening Friday through Saturday as well. Um, Opportunities for allies to learn certain things. Um, And I I just uh, highly recommend that anybody come out and support this community because we we need that support now more than ever.
3: One more time, it's Andy Nelson, Executive Director of the Western Montana LGBTQ Community Center. bunch of Pride Week events going on around Missoula this week, uh, and that includes Pride Night at the Ballpark, which will be tomorrow night, Thursday. Missoula Paddlehead's wearing specialty jerseys, uh, celebrating, supporting the LGBTQ community uh, as they take on the Glacier Range Riders. So again, uh, for tickets, more info about that, you can go to go paddleheads.com and Andy, just one more time where people can go, uh, to find info about your organization, places, uh, where they can go to support. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can learn more and support our organization, the Western Montana LGBTQ community center at our website, gaymontana.org. That's gaymontana.org or learn more about Missoula pride happening this weekend at missoula-pride.com.
3: Well, there you go. Uh, Andy Nelson, executive director of the Western Montana LGBTQ Plus Community Center, joining us here in studio to preview Pride Night at the ballpark as well as some other things that are going ar- on around Missoula this weekend uh, for Pride Week. Andy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy Pride. Hour one in the books, hour two coming at you. Colter Nuanez isn't here, but he'll be back on your airwaves exclusive interview with FCS insider Sam Herder talking a little bit about the national landscape as we get